Hello, PolyM fam, and welcome to Talk Your Poly Off, presented by ilovepoly.org. This is your podcast for ethically navigating your relationships, your community, and yourself for a healthier and happier lifestyle. This is Bella Doll. She is my sunshine full of giggles. And this is Joshua Monsuda, the logic to my emotion and the chaos to my order. So now you know us. Pull up a seat and let's talk our poly off. Hello, PolyM fam, and welcome to another episode of Talk Your Poly Off. I am your host, Monsada, and... Oh, Bella's not here. What? What? <laughs> so, joining me today is a good friend, Lily. Hello. Who has listened to our podcast a bit. Mm-hmm. And has enjoyed it, and is pretty new to polyamory. That I am. So today we figured we would talk about polyamory from a new perspective or a new person's perspective. And Lily has decided to volunteer to <laughs> help get this episode rolling so that I'm not just sitting here talking to you guys all by myself. Right. We wouldn't want Monsanto to be lonely. Right. <laughs> so new to polyamory, how long have you been or how long have you identified with or considered yourself polyamorous? I would say that I have considered myself polyamorous for about a year now. Um, I started seeing my first poly um, person in about September, but really over the summer of 2018, I started identifying as non-monogamous. Okay. Um, And it wasn't really... Polyamory wasn't really on my radar until I met Big D, who is in the Patreon uh, fireside chat. Yes. Um, and he uh, introduced me to polyamory, some of the terminology, and it really intrigued me. Um, I had just gotten out of a 15-year monogamous relationship. So you said that you opened yourself up to non-monogamy, but you weren't familiar with what polyamory was. Correct. What took you from a 15-year relationship to trying to figure out non-monogamy was a thing? So it's funny, because in my monogamous relationship since the first year my ex-husband and I were together, he used to joke that I needed a boyfriend. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> I was... makes it easy. Right? I was always too much to handle. I needed too much sex. I needed too much attention. I needed too many cuddles. I needed to talk too much. And I married my exact opposite. Oh. Like introvert to the max. Okay. So, <laughs> um, so it's a very isolating experience for me. But I'm also pretty tenacious and astrology sign cancer so i am in it to win it so <laughs> all right I, I am really stubborn when it when i want something when i think i want something i go for it and i jump all in um four kids later some ptsd some emotional abuse a lot of neglect i lashed out and turned to the internet and okay. uh, started talking to somebody who piqued my interest and I realized I didn't have to be married to a person who made me really unhappy for okay. the rest of my life. I didn't, I, I only get one shot at this, so yeah. I, I wasn't going to be miserable. Um, and then, <laughs> so really funny thing is sex was a big dynamic in my marriage that caused a lot of emotional stress. 
I wanted a lot. He didn't want any. And what ended up happening was a lot of rejection. I would try really hard to suppress my feelings and my requests because the constant rejection was a lot to handle emotionally. And then once every six to eight months, I would start acting like a teenage boy. Like I needed just any, all the time, every day, (laughs) like so much to the point where it was almost maddening for me because the level of rejection that I would get would tenfold increase. And so finally, like I, I looked at my ex and I was like, I am so desperate for attention. I'm afraid of what I'm going to do. I'm afraid I'm going to do something bad if you don't help me here. And he didn't look at me for two weeks. And that led me to start to look for attention. I see. So, And then at that point, once my marriage started to die down is when I started to figure out that I could have as much attention as I wanted. <laughs> I didn't need to immediately latch on to anybody. So that led to the identifying as non-monogamous. Okay. And that seems like kind of a common intro for a lot of people that mm-hmm. are just discovering what polyamory is. Yes. I, I have heard similar stories to my backstory with some people I've met. Like it's not, it's it's unfortunately a pretty common tale. Right. And, and it's kind of cool and kind of not i mean like the idea that the advent of the internet has brought around so much consciousness and awareness on how do i find myself i'll just google it (laughs) and you find yourself through google searches and and oftentimes people find non-monogamy or polyamory or swinging whatever non-monogamy that you find a lot of times they just end up being cheating sometimes not Yeah, unfortunately, cheating did come into play and ultimately is what led to the demise of my marriage and not conversion into an open relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, It was me realizing he wasn't what I wanted anymore. He wasn't, even if I added somebody else to the mix, what we had wasn't healthy and it wasn't going to work. So it wasn't, it wasn't to become an open relationship. It was like, this needs to end and I need to figure out who I am and what works for me. So it sounds like there was a lot of learning lessons, a yeah. lot of opportunity for growth. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes mistakes are made and, <laughs> and we grow from that. Indeed. Right? So you're no longer with that partner. Right. And you're with a new partner who introduced you to polyamory and all of the terms and mm-hmm. all of the things that come with it. Mm-hmm. And you've been doing this for about a year. I have. And how has your journey been so far as far? Let's let's start with basic stuff and we'll work into the more detail. But an overall general basic idea. How's your journey been so far? Definitely has had its ups and downs. Um, I'd say it started off a little rougher, but has developed into something really positive. And I'd say definitely the best relationship I've had so far. It's funny because in um, monogamous relationships, uh, the common reason for the demise of them that you hear, the most common one, is the lack of communication. Yeah. And what's refreshing is in polyamory, you're encouraged to talk about your feelings. You're encouraged to be open and honest with your partners. Um, there's different forms of it and how much you put on the table. Like I know you practice kitchen table. Yeah. Or Bella does. <laughs> I'm assuming therefore do. you do. <laughs> Amazingly enough. Right. But not everybody does that. And so right. it's been really interesting. To, I've talked with a lot of 
different people and learned kind of the different levels. So most of my research, you'd call it, I mm-hmm. guess, on polyamory has been like listening to your podcast, listening to other podcasts, YouTube videos. I read a little bit of more than two, but mostly interacting with people. Oh, okay. So. So real life experience. Yeah. So when I started, when I, okay, so when I started non-monogamy, I was, I don't know, 18. I had multiple partners and they'd come and they'd go and they all knew about each other and it was all good. It was all groovy. No one really cared. It was more like a friends with benefits circle. Mm -hmm. And I know that polyamory was a thing back then, but it was really in the upstart stages. And that was honestly before too much of the internet. So it wasn't as easy to Google to find yourself. Sure. So I know that when I was first exploring non-monogamy, I was finding pitfall after pitfall. And then I took a break from non-monogamy to go into a monogamous marriage Mm -hmm. and eventually needed to come back to non-monogamy. So when I came back to it, I feel like I was kind of at a point like what you're discussing now, where now the internet's full-blown, we have more websites than you could even shake a stick at and I knew that I couldn't do the monogamy thing any longer and my wife and I had done a lot of talking and we decided to revisit non-monogamy and I kind of did the same thing I google searched I was trying to figure out good ways healthy ways to do this to satisfy my needs and still work in a really good functioning relationship. Mm -hmm. And that's where I started finding polyamory. And that's where I started Mm -hmm. finding all these terms. And that's where I started finding, you know, just a whole different world based around other stuff from what I had when I was 18. I guess when it comes around to it, when you were, when you were going from your non-monogamy and immediately finding polyamory, how much did you struggle with, Like, all the different lingo and all the different terminology, there's a lot there. There is a lot there. And I did struggle a fair amount. Like, I didn't know what a metamor was until, like, three months ago. Oh, okay. (laughs) I didn't know that term. Yeah, just, I've slowly picked up on things that get said often in the chats and the groups and that sort of thing. But there's still a lot I don't know. There's there's still a lot. So I, I don't throw out the terms a lot. I'll kind of beat around the bush until somebody says the term. I'm like, right. oh, there you go. That's the one. You're just trying to pinpoint what right. it is you're looking <laughs> just for. Focus where I'm going on that. Yeah, so the terminology is definitely I think I think it's one of the hardest hurdles. Like everybody yeah. talks about jealousy and communication, but I can talk for days about whatever you want to talk about. So it's really just making sure I don't make an ass of myself with the terminology. <laughs> Which, I mean, you're bound to do with anything, but especially with polyamory, because you either have a whole group of uh, new people that are all trying to figure it out, and Mm -hmm. everyone's just kind of grasping at straws as we go, or you have a lot of real veteran polyamorists Mm -hmm. who who know the terms and can recite the alphabet backwards, Mm -hmm. you know, and then trying to bridge that gap between, I guess, the the previous generation and the current generation, Mm -hmm. sometimes... You end up still saying the wrong thing, yeah. and you still end up doing the wrong thing. Do you feel like the veteran polyamory community that you've had personal experience with has been good at guiding or mentoring, or do you feel like maybe you've been felt like maybe embarrassed because you felt a little judged? That's an interesting question. So 
Yes and no. So okay. <laughs> I I have had some very, very wonderful mentors in the Portland Poly group. Um, mm-hmm. Meeting you and Bella has been amazing. I feel like you guys are like the sages of the Poly group. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I've also had some great encounters with some other people who've been in it for 16 plus years who, you know, they have their wife and their girlfriend, you know, they had a girlfriend or two or whoever. And it's been fantastic. And they're very forgiving and they're very much like senseis. So <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's like, come young one, uh, we will teach you the ways of the poly. <laughs> right, right. But then there's also a lot of judgment. There can be a lot of perceived judgment because of who you're getting to know. Okay. So who you've attached yourself to. Funny enough, my current partner and I matched on Tinder. Oh, all right. <laughs> so yeah. I didn't meet, we didn't meet in a poly group. It was a, a true like swipe right situation. Right. Um, and then we just regularly started hanging out together, not knowing what polyamory was or the community or how big it is, any terminology, that sort of thing. I blindly walked into this. I just like to smile. So (laughs) he was cute. Little did I know that he came with a bit of a reputation. And then wading through the pool of, oh, you're his girlfriend. Mm -hmm. And all of what comes with that, with his previous relationship. Okay. Well, and that's, that's an interesting point of discussion because reputation can play a very big part in how your polyamory community and you interact, especially if there is a perceived bad reputation or a well-earned bad reputation. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I feel like this is a whole other episode, but we can touch on that. And and the idea is that, or what I have seen, because when I came into it, I didn't have mentors. I didn't have anybody. Actually, I, I lived in Walla Walla and I had no polyamory anywhere within 200 miles of me. Right. So I actually had to start a Facebook group and try to reach out and find polyamorists. You had to become your own pillar of community. A little bit. Yeah. And it was difficult to do on the east side of the state. Sure. Didn't know anyone. There's a vetting process, I feel like, happens in the community. And I would agree with that. As a nobody walking into it, wanting to experience it, it's really tough if you're not vetted in, in mm-hmm. my experiences. And while I still lived over there, because I was so far away, a lot of the polyamory communities along the I-5 corridor mm-hmm. didn't really have any interest. Like, oh, they're too far away to really interact with or to care about, so we're just going to ignore it. But the group started developing a lot of steam, and then after a while, we started actually making friends, my wife and I. Mm-hmm. And we started making friends in the community, and we decided... In order to be successful in this, we needed to move where the community was. Sure. So we moved over to Vancouver, and it wasn't a year after moving here that we started really ramping up and having community. And And I feel like, for me, the only reason or the main reason why I was allowed into the community is because I already had this well-established group that had mm-hmm. a bunch of people that you know, other people knew. Um, And I kind of got lucky because I was willing to just jump in there and make my niche. Not everyone's going to do that. And and now, years later, there are so many groups out there that making another one means 
just that you're making another one of many. <laughs> right. So coming over, we still didn't really know many people, but a couple of people were willing to take a chance on us and kind of vetted us into their circles. And we've we've gotten to make some amazing friends. You know, in this time, my wife and I have separated uh, for different reasons, but still being a part of the community. And, and now that I've managed to run in my own circles or create my own circles out of the whole of all of these communities. It feels like it was an easy path, but it kind of wasn't. But I don't understand or I haven't experienced being, I guess, what I'd perceive from your end, where you didn't just make a community, you didn't make a group, and you didn't just have people that were already there. Right. You're walking into a bunch of current communities that mm -hmm. are well-established, mm -hmm. Being a year into it, you're a fresh, unfamiliar face, and that whole vetting process, is that still a thing? Is that a thing that you've experienced? It feels kind of like it is. And and this is, again, it's my perception of the whole situation is I, you know, I started dating this person and he was like, join this Facebook group. It, um, you'll learn terminology this way. You'll meet people, that sort of thing. Meeting people online is a hell of a lot easier than it is in person. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's it's so hard to meet people in person. But I got familiar with names and people and and it's really hard to tell and I've experienced this in every walk of my adult life is it's hard to figure out who to trust and who to put your confidence in and right. who is your actual friend and who's not just like waiting for you to mess up and right. you know that sort of thing. Um, I was very lucky in that my partner was living with a triad and the woman in the group helped me with a lot of understanding a little more about how it works. And hers is different than a lot of people's that I've seen. Okay. Um, hers being her polyamory. Her, the way yeah, she her practices. poly. Yeah. It, and so I, it's funny because I started polyamory with the idea of every everybody's different. Everybody does it different. So I didn't have the hard set, like cookie cutter polyamory that's kind of lined out in some more of the books and that sort of thing where it's like you either like you've got you and then there's 150 different ways you can do it. And right. That sort of thing. So I learned about triads early on. Um, I met a group of people at one of the local clubs. I went to one of their swingers meetups because there's the poly swingers group. <laughs> there's so many different groups. Right. But I went to a meetup there and I met some people and I learned what a polycule was. And that's really interesting. Like the yeah. octopus that is a polycule. Right. <laughs> and, you know, it just kind of steamrolled from there. But at the same time too, sometimes the polyamory community feels a little bit like playing Minesweeper. Oh like, yeah. Where <laughs> you find one and it's good, but like, is that is that next is that next one safe? Like, I don't I don't know. <laughs> right. So we gotta kind of feel around it, and you don't know necessarily like whose opinion to trust because like, I literally knew D and his roommates, and that's it. And then okay. going from there, kind of trying to figure it out. Okay. So to jump back to the reputation thing, just yep. a little bit. Yeah. I I believe you said that there was there was kind of a perception around your partner mm -hmm. and, and that perception was iffy, shady. Yes. So in, <laughs> in one particular instance, a coworker of mine had known of my partner and we mm -hmm. were at a social gathering with 
co-workers of mine and he came. It was kind of one of those like every time I called him to hang out he'd show up and so we hung out a lot in the kind of early days of our relationship and it caused a problem. Um, She pulled this person pulled my friends aside and said something about him that they all told me he was maybe not a good person to be hanging out with and I might want to rethink my whole relationship with him. Okay. And because of who I am, that then I was like, challenge accepted. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to see it through Uh because I, I just, I didn't get that feeling from him. But then learning more about his history and his previous partner and knowing how, from personal experience, knowing how certain relationships can bring out certain parts of your personality, be it good or bad. Unfortunately, sometimes toxicity can breed toxicity. So, you know, when you get the right combination of things together, it's a perfect storm of just not healthy. And unfortunately, that can affect your outward perception of how people perceive you. Right. And then... Uh, that that was the first kind of negative experience. And mind you, that's like six dates in with this guy. <laughs> so oh, that's a good time to do that. Really early. <laughs> well, and like to address that really quick is that now I don't know the history of a lot of your partner, mm-hmm. his previous partners, but even even good people mixed with other good people, mm-hmm. there's still potential for bad reactions. Sure. So it's not that. A person specifically in this scenario is theoretically toxic. No. Or just the interactions ended up being not so hot. Right. Yeah. yeah. And and could definitely be one interaction with this person went wrong, something was said wrong, and that breeds a, a bad image in their mind. Like right. there's a lot of ways that someone can get a negative tilt to their reputation within a community, that can be a really easy switch, unfortunately. Yeah, sadly. But then as I dove deeper into the poly community and began to meet and talk to other people, because at the beginning of our relationship, we were very open. Uh And I was talking to one person and you get the comment of like, oh, well, that person has this problem and they might not be a good fit for you based on your history. And then, okay. but that unfortunately you're not maybe far enough into just talking with that person to know that about them. You just get the recommendation from somebody. Right. Then what right. do you do with that? Well, so. and then you carry this extra burden of, of not knowing how much of that is legitimate. Yeah. Or if you find out that it is, how do you handle that in a, in any given scenario, Mm -hmm. I feel like what I'm hearing is it's good that you've gotten a chance to work with your partner and Mm -hmm. talk with your partner. You guys have gotten to know each other and didn't have to let the, the gossip or the warnings color your relationship in a way to where you missed an opportunity to be with something you, someone you really enjoy with. Exactly. Okay. That's cool. He and I have gone through some rough patches, but through the, the enhanced conversation, I really took that um, that poly people communicate to heart. And so I'm always like, let's talk this out. Like, we're having a right. rough patch. Let's talk this out. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's really helped us kind of get to know each other in ways in a deeper level that I've never had with a relationship before. And so in that way, I'm really thankful for the poly community. That's awesome. Okay, so we're going to talk about that really quick. One of the basic tenets of polyamory is... Communicate, communicate, communicate. Mm -hmm. Now, you being freshly into polyamory and 
freshly out of monogamy, mm -hmm. you still have what I would call a beginner's mind when it comes to this. You're still seeing this through a learner's eye, mm -hmm. if that's a correct way of saying it. I would agree with that. So while you're still fresh between the transition, how do you feel about the communication techniques on monogamy versus polyamory? With monogamy and especially the type of monogamy that I experienced with its roots in certain religious aspects. Okay. I feel as though my relationship especially was discouraged from high levels of communication where if you have feelings of wanting to expand your relationship or you're missing something in your relationship, that's your problem. You deal with that. It's not my problem. We don't have to talk about this anymore. Oh, <laughs> it's funny because one of my biggest pet peeves is somebody saying, well, I don't know what you want me to say because that was my ex-husband's constant response whenever I wanted to talk about something. I don't know what you want me to I say. I don't know what you want me to say. Whatever comes into your head, buddy. <laughs> right, right. Well, that's interesting. It's a discussion. <laughs> so obviously not everybody's going to monogamy the same. Just sure, like not everyone's going to polyamory right. the same. That's right. So, like, and, what we're talking about is your experiences. Sure. And, and my my relationship specifically, I am a massive extrovert. I like to talk. I like people. I'm, I like customer service is my jam, like that sort of thing. <laughs> like, um, And he is, his goal in life was to be a computer programmer without a phone in his office and just, like, never having to talk to a person again. So, yes, mine is an extreme scenario. Okay. <laughs> okay. So... Being on the flip side of that with a person who is very open to the open communication style, it's night and day for me. Yeah? Yeah. So it sounds like this is a refreshing change for you. Oh, so, so much. I'm so happy. <laughs> you ever feel like you over-communicate? Yes. <laughs> and you can ask my partner. I probably do. <laughs> okay, do you ever feel like the two of you together over-communicate? Oh, um, no. <laughs> like yeah i'll talk the shit out of you i'll talk your ear off no um no i i wouldn't say he has a problem with the level of communication that we have i, I think in his experiences too it's as perhaps a lack of communication led to misunderstandings or hurt feelings or bad you know bad situations and at this point too we had uh we, we actually had an issue in july where he was kind of self-sabotaging and we figured out it was because our relationship was too, it was going too well. Like we, okay. were, we were relationshiping too, he was too comfortable. So okay. he started to try to kind of do things to self-sabotage. And I spoke with a friend of mine and who, who's known him for a long time. And she identified that that's what he was doing. And I looked at him and I was like, knock it off. <laughs> <laughs> I see you. Don't end this. So, And since then, we've been great. And so awesome. it's it's. It's been, the level of communication is fantastic. Cool. So I'm going to ask a hard question. In the year of polyamory that you've experienced, year-ish, how much of that has been a monogamish type scenario? That is a very fair question. So we kind of started our poly relationship backwards. Okay. So a lot of people will, from my understanding based on my research, is that usually you will start to get to know someone and not see anybody else. You'll okay. kind of like, you know, build that relationship, go off of the NRE 
and (laughs) kind of build a foundation on your relationship to start. Whereas we, because we started with Tinder and me being non-monogamous, it took me a while to switch gears into trying to build a relationship. Whereas I feel like he's, because he's been poly for a while, he's better at transitioning into foundational relationships. But he's very much into the hierarchical type of poly, nesting partners and all of that stuff. And um, because of my newness, took longer to get there. So I had a friend with benefits when we started dating. I had kind of that friends with benefits circle that you were talking about. Right. Where it was just like, you know, whoever, it's fine, it's whatever. And then when he and I started to realize we were getting, like, we were definitely going more serious. We had, a, we struggled a lot with the jealousy issue and me having been in a monogamous relationship, like as hardcore of a monogamous relationship as I was in, I was garbage at dealing with my <laughs> jealousy issues. I'll straight up admit it. He had a date and the whole time I was like, my stomach hurts. I can't do this. What do I, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> and, and then too, when I went on a, like when I went on a date, he would have the same thing where he was just like nervous and he didn't like, didn't know what to do with his time to the point where when we decided to like officially date each other, probably I'd say sometime about this time last year, we vaguely had a conversation of like, okay, well maybe we just won't add new partners, but we can talk to people. And right. so we started doing that and I had a person who was getting more and more interested in me and then that caused some more upset. And so we just decided to kind of close the doors, I'd say in February of this year uh-huh. and just focus on us and building our relationship. And now I can say after eight to nine months of doing that, we've built a foundation where we can start talking about what we want our poly to look like. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. So basically you jumped out of this super monogamous relationship Mm -hmm. you immediately found Mm non-monogamy you're exploring it you're grooving (laughs) on it you're having a great time then you get serious with a person Mm -hmm. and because you want to focus on your connections with each other you bring it back to monogamy for a little bit Mm -hmm. and now you guys feel like you're good enough to start being polyamorous again right like opening those doors again right and now it just becomes a time management issue <laughs> so, it always does <laughs> where it's it's one of those um we have the same days off and so we really focus on you know building time together i have little kids and so managing that and then working full time uh it's just another partner sounds so daunting <laughs> right right And then it's all about, you know, in the brief periods of my life where I have been single, I have been super ethically (laughs) non-monogamous. So I I realized a couple weeks ago, I'm not sure I know how to, like, date without Uh sex. (laughs) So I was like, that might be a challenge for me, like, when we open up, is, like, taking the time to get to know somebody without necessarily jumping into bed with them so i of course want to be super respectful to my partner and so i was like oh i'm gonna have to like learn how to date (laughs) (laughs) well it's not easy to do after so many years right i was with my wife for 21 22 years and while i had all of my non-monogamy up to her and even in the beginning stages of our relationship Mm -hmm. then i went almost completely monogamous for quite a while uh, with a couple of stints here and there 
And then when I decided to open back up again, I was at a loss. Mm -hmm. Like, I went over a decade with just one person and being comfortable. You you get in routines. You you can communicate non-verbally, mm -hmm. right? And then branching out and trying to explore with new people. And suddenly you have to reinvent the wheel almost. Right. Is that something you've experienced? Absolutely. Where it's, yeah, just kind of figuring out how to have a platonic conversation. Even making friends has been difficult just because it's navigating the poly world with the dating scene and all of that, finding friends can sometimes can just be hard without it leading into flirting. And right. so <laughs> you're just like, I don't know how no, to no, keep no, the I two separate. Like, I want to just get coffee with you. How do we do just coffee? <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like, I'm not making eyes at you. I just don't, I don't know how to look any other way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I personally feel like after a certain amount of time or a certain, you know, certain way of operating, mm -hmm. there really doesn't have to be that separation. Sure. I don't know if that's a little too much relationship anarchy. <laughs> um, but sometimes it's just easier not to not to have to worry too much about oh well we can only do handshakes right now right and we can only address each other by the last names <laughs> you know right exactly and and navigating that with a partner is something that which is why I'm excited that D and I are having conversations about what we want our poly to be when uh -huh. we get to have that opportunity where we're we can talk about what we want we actually were just talking about it before we came over to your place about like do we want kitchen table how open do we want to be with each other we've talked before about like with his previous partner it was like you had to notify before kissing somebody and i was like well i'm a kind of in the moment sort of girl so where do we want to fall on that well and coming to an agreement where everybody feels honored right so. and that and that's a, a weird fine line like if you have to notify someone before kissing someone else mm -hmm. that's i don't know if that's imposing rules on another person or if they made that as an agreement that they'd follow right but, and I'm not clear on that based on the short conversations we've had about it so far. Right. But it, it seems like it's it's really difficult to navigate polyamory. I mean, like, I know that it's more than it, than it seems because I've had to do it that way or mm -hmm. I've chosen to do it that way. Mm -hmm. But it is much more difficult to navigate a polyamory kind of lifestyle mm -hmm. when all these rules are set up and all sure. these, like... Your partner dictates what you have to do or what you're not allowed to do. Right. Rather than having those discussions well beforehand mm -hmm. and coming to an understanding of agreements as right. opposed to rules. Right. So how, how do you guys fall? Like, I guess, what do you feel most comfortable mm -hmm. And what do you know that your partner feels most comfortable? Are you, are you guys more of an agreements type people? I think so. Yeah. Um, I, I feel as though we both have a level of trust in the foundation of our relationship where it would just be like, we agree that these are the ground rules. It's not like a, you can't do this, you can't do that sort of thing. It's just a, like, like for example, I have, I have little kids at home. Uh -huh. So bringing new partners to the house is just not something we're comfortable with. Right. I actually got the rule from his, um, 
his previous roommate because she had kids as well. And her rule was, don't bring your Tinder hose to my house. (laughs) (laughs) No disrespect to Tinder girls, but um, it was just, there had to be a certain number of dates and there had to be a level of commitment and interest. And then it went through an interview process. And like, I don't know if I want to be that strict with it, but like, it's one of those, if you're on a second date, like the house is really not the option for the location because of the kids. So, because of the kids, I'm glad you added that clarifier because when you were saying all of that, I was like, shit, I've messed that one up. <laughs> well, and it's all I've your comfort level. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, and that's, that's another thing is that when you're talking about being a polyamorous and also being a parent, mm-hmm. and again, this is that's easily a, a few months ago. Yeah, right? I was going to say. But I feel like that's where you need to understand that you're not just making your own personal boundaries. Mm-hmm. You're also trying to protect children and you're trying to make sure that everyone's taken care of well. Mm-hmm. So in my eyes, I would say that that's kind of an agreement that should be pretty easy to follow. Right. And it also seems like it could be relatively easy to find partners who maybe don't have kids mm-hmm. or they don't live with their kids. Right. And you can negotiate through that and still get time with another partner. Right. Yeah. Yeah. On my way home from work, I was listening to your last podcast about where you sleep and the sleeping arrangements oh, right. and all that stuff, which I love that one. <laughs> oh, thanks. Um, but because of the quantity of children that I have, uh-huh. we don't. he and I don't have a separate bedroom. So That's fair. We yeah. share a bed. We share a bedroom. And so then it becomes like... The conversation was started, hasn't been agreed upon at all, but like the conversation started of is our bed off limits because that's where we sleep. And so are, are we willing to kick the other person out of the bed to share it with another person when they would have to go to the couch? Like to me, that doesn't seem fair. So it's kind of one of those like perhaps the bed is not a good common area. <laughs> right, right. Well, I can speak on that from a point of experience. Mm -hmm. My wife and I got into polyamory while we still had children. Mm -hmm. And we kind of fell under the same situation where we couldn't create a second bedroom Mm -hmm. because they were all taken by kids. Right. (laughs) So we did have just the one bed. And a lot of times our relationships were not serious enough where there were constant sleepovers. Sure. So maybe a partner would spend time in the bed or whatever. And that seemed to work out okay. And I think that what it comes down to is what are the partners comfortable mm-hmm. with? Exactly. If you're nesting with someone and they don't mind a night on the couch, it's like I, I think I mentioned in the last episode where I'd spend a couple nights with one partner and a couple nights with another partner. Yeah. And then I'd take a personal night. Mm-hmm. I don't mind sleeping on the couch. Sure. And if that's something where maybe in a, in a relationship like yours or similar people that share one bed, if people don't mind the couch or people are willing to go buy a mm-hmm. hideaway bed, sure. that might work also. Or maybe You're even right. the partner that has a new partner in the home does hide-a-bed stuff. Mm-hmm. But with, with kids in the house, mm-hmm. and maybe they get up to go to the bathroom or get a drink of that's water. That's where it gets tricky. That's where it gets tricky, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And, and I fully believe that it comes down to what the other partner is comfortable with mm-hmm. honoring and respecting the other per- partner but coming to an agreement where you both are where you're not just being a doormat to the other person's needs right. um, but it's an honest conversation where you're both talking about how you feel about it and that's 
the most important part. Yeah, definitely. Well, and it makes it also tough because then the other side of the argument would be, well, you could just go stay at this other partner's house. Right. But then but, that puts the burden on the other partner. Right. And in a house full of children, maybe a parent being gone overnight would be too alienating or difficult to comprehend for a child. So, Well, and two, I have the added caveat of the, my kids are not his kids. So yeah. my kids are from my marriage. So asking him to watch my kids while I go to sleep at someone else's house doesn't seem like a good scenario. <laughs> or maybe it's a scenario you guys can discuss. You right, or something we can it. discuss. I personally don't feel it's super as long respectful as the of kids him. Are cool and as long as, yeah. Right, exactly. But you're you're right. It does all come down to conversation and comfortability and right. all of that stuff. And it's and you're right. It's not just me and him. It's the kids as well. Like, right. is my three year old going to be upset that mom's not home in the middle of the night? Probably. That will make it tough. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So that does become a factor in in how we open up our our little group and what we add to it and where we go. I have the added um, problem. I don't know if you'd call it a problem, really, but it's the added caveat of being strictly hetero. Okay. In polyamory. I have found that it's not super common for a woman to be exclusively hetero. Right. Um, and that can make it difficult, one, in forming friendships, and two, the dating pool. So okay. there's a lot of, as, as when you're presenting as a single female in the poly group, and you're not a unicorn. <laughs> right. It can make it a little harder. So yeah. especially when the wife wants to be included or or if it's just women looking for, you know, matches and all. The, I say matches because I'm used to Tinder. But, <laughs> right. but, you know, they're looking for partners and that sort of thing that that can be another added level of navigating relationships and that sort of thing so well and that's a great thing about polyamory right is Mm -hmm. that in a monogamous relationship you have monogamous relationship complications Mm -hmm. and in polyamory relationships you have one-on-one complications and in other one-on-one complications and in others and in five and in (laughs) it it almost seems like an exponential growth of complications right because not only are you dealing with your partner and then maybe your other partner and then their and then your metamor and then like maybe they have a partner that you also interact with and you're right it becomes quite a bit to manage. It does. It does. So you mentioned Tinder a second ago. I did. <laughs> and now that you and your partner are re-emerging, we'll mm-hmm. say, have you got back on Tinder? I actually never got rid of my Tinder profile. Have you been more um, active? It's kind of one of those things, the whole instant gratification with phone and stuff like that. Sometimes mm. I'll go on there when I'm bored and just start swiping. <laughs> right. I never, never really go anywhere with any of the matches or whatever. They keep trying to tell me I have a bunch of likes, but I have to pay to see it, and I don't really care. So. Right. <laughs> well, they got to make their money somehow. They do. <laughs> the funniest thing about Tinder and my Tinder profile is that my ex actually dared me to get a Tinder profile. Really? He did. I, w- I have uh, forearm tattoos, uh-huh. and one of them he came with me to make the appointment for because it was still kind of as our relationship was dying down, we were trying to be friendly with each other. Right. He had started a Tinder profile and wasn't having much luck with it. And he's like, well, I'm not sure you could do much better. Like, oh, that's a dumb thing to say. <laughs> 
female identified individuals generally have extremely better luck than male identified it's true plus women don't have any limits on swipes so you can go really all day yeah you don't have any i feel ripped off i know (laughs) (laughs) so yeah it's definitely geared towards women do the picking well and that's good though because it it provides an extra layer of comfortability Mm -hmm. and and perhaps security Mm -hmm. or at least perceived security and it really gives the power back in the dating pool mm-hmm. to women whereas historically if a woman wanted to date more she'd be labeled with the scarlet letter right, right. and there's no reason for that so mm-hmm. it's cool that that happens right but i still feel ripped off <laughs> <laughs> what's nice too though is because i've gone on there a couple of times i haven't done much with it but uh-huh. i have actually found some polyamorous people on tinder right. and it's led to a couple of interesting conversations i oh, haven't cool. gone on any dates or anything but you know um just conversations i actually was talking to one person i matched with forever ago and we extended our conversation and i dropped the name of the podcast so yes <laughs> <laughs> I have heard that OkCupid is a favorite of polyamorous people. Yes. Um, because they are ha- they have options to link partners or, yeah. you know, the- I haven't explored OkCupid. That's what I hear, yeah. That's what I hear. Yeah, it's kind of one of those. I- it's funny because Tinder to me feels a little bit like online shopping. Right. <laughs> I can well, just browse the selection for the day. And it's kind of notorious for being just the hookup site. Exactly. You know, OkCupid has this reputation mm-hmm. of relationships the relationship yeah. side yeah cuz i somebody asked me recently just in normal conversation how i met my boyfriend and i was like oh we met on tinder and their face dropped and they're like oh and i was like guys, it happens he's a person you guys made it past night 1 wow <laughs> i know <laughs> like you did night 1 and you called him again yes i did it's so weird <laughs> who even does that anymore who does that this girl <laughs> Uh, so what about your partner? Does your partner use dating apps? I know he still has a Tinder profile, mostly because I have one and can see his because we still match. <laughs> but he hasn't done anything with it. I I think my partner is a big fan of Facebook. And oh, so okay. he tends to start Facebook Messenger as kind of his go-to for that and just kind of meeting people organically, starting conversations, that sort of thing, and seeing where it goes. So speaking of meeting people organically... Uh, so it doesn't seem like your Tinder gets a lot of activity. Where do you feel as being new to polyamory that you're finding the most success at making connections, whether they're romantic relationships, friendships, just networking connections? Where do you feel like you shine the most? Hmm, That's a good question. I would say I get the most exposure in Facebook groups and then meetups. I'd say the most people I've met in the past six months were at your Halloween party. <laughs> All right. But it's, it's not for lack of trying. So uh, my partner does run a um, polyamorous stoners group. Mm-hmm. And we've met some people through there. And that's been really fun forming those friendships. And really at this point, I'm looking to expand my friendship circle. Not so much looking for a romantic relationship at this time, but... It doesn't mean I don't get message requests and that sort of thing. Right. Um, uh, But yeah, 
so I get asked out to coffee and then I talk to my partner about it and you know it it, ha- it hasn't worked out any time recently and so it's kind of one of those time is not a commodity I have a lot of All right so we've we've covered a pretty good amount of ground I've asked you a ton of questions I don't know that if I've given you the opportunity to ask questions if you have any or if I've given you much of a platform to discuss something that maybe you had on your mind before coming onto the show. So how about we just take a minute and you you take the floor if you'd like. <laughs> sure. Well, it was kind of one of those, I was excited to potentially talk about reputations and relationships um, because I feel as though with, it's kind of like when you Google polyamory or when you're Googling help for um, your poly relationship, only uh-huh. two things ever come up. Communication, jealousy, sorry, three. Communication, jealousy, and sex. Yep. Um, and that's all anybody wants to talk about. Whereas knowing how to vet gossip or test out a relationship or where to meet people and all of that stuff is you really have to hunt for it on your own. And it's yeah. not it's not as easily accessible as people like to think. A lot of times you have to friend somebody to join one of the poly groups. Yes. Um, and so therefore knowing who to ask can be one of the hardest parts. Unless you have somebody who can guide you. Right. Your sensei. You don't <laughs> know where, you don't even know where to go. So yeah. one of the... People I've met recently who's been in the poly community for a long time and who's helped me with figuring out feelings and how to address certain things. We've had a lot of really good conversations. I'd seen him around the poly groups. We'd never really talked much. And then I saw him at a tattoo convention of all places. And that's where we started talking again. I've started talking to him and he started talking to my partner and we kind of all have talked for a long time now. So it's been... um, it's been really nice to get another perspective on it. And then getting to know you and Bella has also helped a lot and just kind of feeling more comfortable in the poly community. Because okay. it you, it's funny because you two do offer a lot of access to people because you know so many people. Right. And so, <laughs> like right. I said, your, your Halloween party was probably where I've met the most people I've seen kind of floating around online. And some of those have turned into some... Some longer conversations and that sort of thing and yeah. potential friendships and all of that. That's cool. I mean, like, and that's honestly one of the reasons why we run so many, of well, used to run so many right. events. One of the things that I've found is that you can talk online all day, every day. You can make these great digital friendships, mm-hmm. which are 100% valid. Like, I've dated people. I've never met them in person. We've had phone conversations. We've had you know, video chats, amazing relationships. Never once met them in person. But there does come a time in my experience where you yearn for real face-to-face social interaction. Right. And for a while, getting into polyamory and and exploring, like trying to meet someone's fucking impossible. It is. And like- so you take a chance and you go to an event and a lot of times... Maybe you don't gel with the way the event's set up or who's mm-hmm. there or communication's off. One of the things that Bella and I try to do is when we create an event, we try to make it open. We try to make mm-hmm. it accessible. And we've found that a great number of people that come to these 
leave with more friends than they had before. Yes. And it's such a beautiful thing to experience. Yes. I love it. Yeah. And one, I think one misconception about the poly community is you think because you're able to have more than one partner, mm-hmm. you'll be drowning in relationships and you'll have just so many people around you, you don't know what to do with yourself. Right. It can be so isolating. Like, it, it can be so hard to form those relationships. Like, you can put yourself out there and put yourself out there, but it can still be hard to, like, get that physical meeting and to get that connection really going. Right. So it's really nice to be able to come to comfortable meetups and local things, like not having to go to Portland all the time because, you know, I'm also based in Vancouver. Uh-huh. And, you know, it can get expensive to keep going to the clubs and yeah. going to the <laughs> events and all of that stuff. So It really can. And then just, like, even just parking where you're paying five to eight bucks a right. night. You know, you're out 20 bucks on one weekend just to park your car. Right. Or you try to buy more than one drink at 10 bucks a pop that's like the size of a thimble. (laughs) But they're all $10. Well, and that's one of the great things is that in the last few years, I feel like polyamory has gained more acceptance. Mm -hmm. More people have come into it. There's still quite a few closeted polyamorists, which is okay. Everyone has to go at a level that their life can manage. Mm -hmm. But they still show up at meetups, and you still get to meet people. And I know that I personally have met some fantastic people all through the I-5 corridor, all through the state, all across the country. We have one listener, and I know she's going to know who I'm talking about. She lives on the East Coast. Mm. We talk on a daily, and she is so (laughs) awesome. And I never would have met her if she didn't listen to our podcast. Right. And so podcast, events, whatever it is, when you're really reaching out there and you're getting the chance to connect with people, it doesn't matter what their walk of life is. When you get to know them as a person, that's that's where you get to experience something that you haven't had before. Mm-hmm. And I'm a huge fan of just connecting. Like I think right. that the more you put your heart out there, the more you're willing to no strangers Mm -hmm. get past any anxiety you're feeling or Mm -hmm. introversion you're feeling your life becomes more rich with the more people that you feel connected to Mm -hmm. and unfortunately kind of like what some of what you've said through this episode is that until you actually get out there Mm -hmm. and you're not getting this connection it does feel isolating yeah. and it, it is a struggle. So I'm really glad that you're starting to find community and you're starting to feel community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I've, like I said, I've been in poly about a year now, mm-hmm. but I didn't really start feeling a sense of strong community. Like I had friends here and friends there and all of that stuff and I love them dearly, but I didn't have what I felt was a strong sense of community, especially where I live until mm-hmm. October of this year like it was really a lot of people I know are based in Oregon and you know trying to get to them was always I had to go there and it it was a lot of extra work and not that I you know don't want to put the work out for my friends and all of that stuff but it's just it's kind of nice to be able to come hang out with somebody who lives maybe two miles from my house instead of 20. Well, and then and it's, sometimes it's not even that you don't want to go visit. Sometimes you ha- you can't right. manage to get there. Right. I was dating a girl for a while that lived up in the Seattle area. Mm-hmm. 
And that's what, a two and a half hour drive, a two hour drive, yeah. something like that. And because of everything that was going on, I couldn't really get up that way. Mm-hmm. She'd come down and visit a lot, which I was super thankful for. And for the time that we were together, it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. But it was still a burden. Right. It was a burden on her to have to be able to come here. She had to do a bunch of extra things to make that happen. Mm-hmm. I had to do some things on my end to make that happen. It's a lot of work. Uh, I have a friend who also listens to the show. We've actually connected because of the show. Mm-hmm. She lives down in Central Oregon. Mm-hmm. And I would love to go visit her. Right. But... I mean, just the ability to do so right. is it's, difficult. Yeah, and it's it's especially hard for someone in my position where it's like I not only work full-time, but I have kids and all of that stuff, you know, managing that schedule and trying to go, like, to have a partner out of the state is yeah. kind of off the table for me in my situation right now mm-hmm. in this walk of life just because the, the limited amount of free time that I get, I try to spend with the current partner that I have. And it's funny because it even, even though we live together, it still doesn't feel like much. Like, <laughs> it doesn't feel like I get to see him that much. But then again, I do require a lot of attention, so. <laughs> That's what I hear. I think from you at the beginning of the episode. I mean, yes, bringing it full circle. <laughs> so if you were to run across someone else who is new to polyamory, mm-hmm. somebody who's just looking to get into it, would you recommend, if they're asking, they're asking, they're inquiring, they're wanting clarification, sure. they seem interested, would you recommend polyamory to them? I would. It's kind of like, even if they don't fully open up, uh-huh. I feel as though the mentality of polyamorous people and the community in, on a whole itself fosters a... A level of respect for your partner, a level of communication with those around you, even in friendships. It's a level of, you know, consideration and acceptance and conversation that is just not as widely accepted in monogamy. And so I think it's a very beautiful thing. Well, and to add to that, I think that one of the other things that I especially learned with polyamory is that it teaches you a respect for yourself. Mm Mm-hmm. That maybe before I got into the label-filled world of polyamory, that I didn't, I didn't understand that it was okay to respect yourself and to sure. set up your own boundaries and to expressly communicate your wants and your needs without feeling guilty right. to your partner. To add to what you said, mm-hmm. I would also say that it gives you the autonomy and the empowerment. Mm-hmm. To be you unapologetically. Right. And that that is an excellent point. That is the other thing. And you don't think about it as much because you kind of take it for granted after... When you get so in tune with yourself and your wants and your emotional health and all of that stuff and feeling that empowered, you almost kind of forget about it a little bit. You're, yeah. Because you just are in that state of being of like, you know, like, I'm good. Right, <laughs> right. It's such a different place to be. Whereas, like, you're right. I feel like there's a level of guilt for wanting things in in different circles but in polyamory especially it's almost encouraging you to be your truest self because you can't how can you be true to your partners when you can't be true to yourself that's a hundred percent that's so good so that same person that asked you that you recommend it what would be the first thing you'd tell them before they start their journey check out this podcast it's called talk your poly off <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, you just uh, won. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would really just recommend research. It's not something you have to jump in feet first. Like mm-hmm. that—that's what I learned, kind of the hard way. Is you don't have to—you don't have to have four partners out of the gate. Right. Um, you can take it slow, and you can take your time and figure out what you want. And that's—that's that's where I'm at now. And it's—it's it's just so exciting to know that, like. I'm in such a good place personally and I'm in such a good place relationally and how that can open me up to having more of that. And it's like, that's amazing. So, um, just education, like craving information, joining a Facebook group. I can recommend 10 to you. (laughs) You know, there's the book more than two, which can be a guide or, um, the ethical slut, though I don't consider them like the end all be all text. I feel like they're a good kind of gateway. They're a good yeah. eye opener and podcast, you know, you, it's kind of a passive listening thing where you can have somebody kind of explain it to you while you're driving to work yeah. and that's wonderful. And then there's so much community, especially in the Portland area. There's so much community here. It is a hotbed for polyamory. It really is. It's kind of nice. Yes. <laughs> yeah, when you're when you're starting out, it is kind of nice to be near all of the everything when it comes yeah. to poly. <laughs> yeah, another book that I think would be a good one is A Smart Girl's Guide to Polyamory. It was written by Dedeker Winston, who is also a co-host on the Multiamory podcast. Ah. And... I don't, I don't believe in this thing where you're only listening to our podcast. Don't look anywhere else. I mean, no. like, this is polyamory, right? This is polypodcastery. <laughs> I'm going to recommend multi-amory. I think it, they're great hosts. Mm-hmm. I think they're super informative. I mean, the more resources, the better. Right. Ours isn't the only one. Ours probably isn't the best one. It's you're not going to find one polyamory Bible. No. There's so many resources. It's just like polyamory is that... It doesn't all have to be done this one way. Right. You get the chance to explore. You get mm-hmm. the chance. It's a choose-your-own-adventure in romance. Absolutely. So. And you can even look at all of the things that everybody's doing and go, well, that's great. I want some of that, and I want some of that, and I want some of that, and I'm going to make my own flavor. Yes. <laughs> and it's so good. And it's so good because it's what works for you and your partners, and it's so just, it's so exciting. Yeah, Definitely. Well, I think that we should probably wrap it up because we've been, I mean, the conversation's been fantastic <laughs> and you've been great to work with tonight. But, you know, we're not going to make a five-hour podcast. No. So. But I can always come back. Definitely. <laughs> well, I do appreciate you coming on to the show and I appreciate you sharing your experiences and being open and vulnerable for our audience. That's always a great thing to be able to do and it's what you provided was an opportunity to share so that others may learn and i thank you profusely for doing that i thank you profusely for letting me be on this show (laughs) i i really do love what you and bella are doing it's very encouraging and exciting and it's um it's such an honor to be here and to be able to share my experience so far. And I'm excited to, you know, experience more Polly. All right, Polly and fam. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with our guest host, Lily. And I hope that you gained some great experience out of it like I did. And hopefully 
Miss Bella will be feeling better by next episode. And she will be back joining in our conversation. So why don't you check us out next Monday and find out if we get the return of the Bella. Thank you for talking your poly off with Bella and Monsina. You can find our Facebook page in the links. Or by searching for I Love Polly and liking the page Polyamory Get Your Heart On. You can also find I Love Polly on Instagram and Twitter by searching I Love Polly Cares. If you want us to help you navigate to all of our online presence, check out the show notes or come on over to ilovepoly.org. We would love to hear from you. That's right. And you can get in touch with us by emailing podcast at ilovepoly.org. That's singular podcast, not plural. So until our next discussion, Pollyam fam. Live like there's no tomorrow. Laugh until it hurts. And, and love, love without, without limits. limits.